0: would you open your bibles today to the book of second corinthians second corinthians chapter number 12 second corinthians 12 um i know it's always a disappointment not to uh, be able to hear your pastor and uh i i i understand that thanks for not leaving uh, I, I considered leaving when I found out that I was here, but he's. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, we're, it's it's the word of God that's the issue, not the preacher of the word of God, right? And so uh, we just want to focus on that. To understand this passage of scripture, I think that there's several things that just didn't and kind of a the background, we should understand. Um, I I was reading on Facebook the other day, uh, and I came across a lady that I've known for a long time. In fact, she was a member of the church I pastored in Oklahoma for 25 years, and she wrote a sentence that made me pause. She said, "Our world is out of control." Now. Uh, is our world out of control? Is your life, do you feel like your life is out of control? Well, I hope you don't. Uh, Reading that just made me think, I need to go back there and teach again. You know, I need to spend another 25 years doing that. uh, Because our world is not out of control. To understand more about this, In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we have a passage of scripture that's really unparalleled in the New Testament. Uh, It is hard to understand in places, but worth the struggle to get it. Now, in order to have a grasp of this, we should first of all understand just the biblical concept of pride. Pride. You know, pride is something that God hates. He hates it. He's clear about that. In fact, it says that he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Uh, what is pride, anyway? Well, it's um, it's this tendency that we have to orient our lives around ourselves, to... Uh, to believe that somehow we can control our own lives and that we should get the credit for the good things that have happened rather than God enabling us to experience that. Prayerlessness, for example, is an example of pride. It's arrogance. It's believing that we somehow can take care of ourselves rather than being dependent on God. So, The underlying current here is related to pride and the many times in scripture that the Lord is addressing this to help protect us from that. God will do what's necessary to help protect you against self-reliance and to spur you on to God dependence. Now, that being true uh as as we just work with this concept of pride let's let's begin the passage 2 Corinthians 12:1 i must go on boasting he says now uh the book of 2 Corinthians has a number of purposes but one of the main purposes is paul is defending himself against uh, false prophets, false teachers, false apostles that have invaded the church in Corinth. And they are teaching the wrong thing. They, They are teaching a false gospel. And as a result, people are being drawn away from the true gospel and to this false gospel of in order to be right with God, I have to do certain things. I have to fulfill certain laws. Now, uh, how's Paul going to get, get to this? How's he going to deal with it? Well, one of the things that he does in this passage is he confronts their bragging about how they would say, God told me this, so I'm telling you. By the way, I think that that's something that, that statement is something that we've got to be careful with. God told me. God told me. Uh, uh, I'm not saying that God doesn't work in our lives or he doesn't lead us. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that this whole idea of, of God speaking to us is something that we should handle as a very sacred thing and not take in a haphazard manner, uh, and and we should be sparing with that kind of terminology. Well, anyway, so the apostle is trying to now confront this false gospel, not to protect himself, but to protect the Corinthian church. And so, how is he going to do it? He's tried other ways, now he's going to do, to give them some of their own medicine. And he says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. He's not going to get anything out of this. In fact, he's very uncomfortable with it at this point in his life. But it's necessary for the church and for these false apostles to understand. And so... Uh, There is nothing to be gained about. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. You say that God is speaking to you. All right. I've not told this story, and I'm going to tell this story now to you. I'm going to explain about what it's like when God really does speak to you and bring you into his presence. And he says... I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. All right, let's stop here. He says, this is something that happens 14 years before. 14 years, and he's not talked about it a single time. You know, if somebody was taken, really taken to heaven today and uh, came back to the earth somehow, uh, I think what would probably happen is we'd write a book and go on talk shows. But not so with the apostle. He hasn't even spoken of this for 14 years. And uh, so he says that he was caught up into the third heaven. How many heavens are there anyway? Well, when the Bible speaks about heaven, it might speak of three different things. Number one, It could be speaking about the atmosphere around the earth. That's called heaven in some passages of scripture. It it could be speaking of outer space, into the heavens, uh, which is a term that we use. And also, it more frequently is used to speak of that Place where God is uniquely. Now God is everywhere at one time, but we have this concept in Scripture of the throne room of God, where Jesus is set at the, has sat at the right hand of the Father, where all of the saints who have preceded us in death now exist. Uh, it's, it's that place where the holy angels abide. And so that's what he's talking about. He was caught up into this third heaven. And what happened in this third heaven? Again, he says, now, I don't know whether I was in the body, physically taken up. I don't know if this is a vision. I'm just not sure. In fact, he's going to uh, he's going to repeat that in a minute because he's in a quandary about that part of it. And he says, uh, so... 14 years ago, caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man, uh, why is he talking in the third person like this? Well, it's called uh, a device called the polite third person. And he's trying to avoid the, the presumption of pride. And so he's referring to himself in this way. And I know this man was caught up into paradise. Here it's used as a synonym for heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. He's driving home that point. And he heard things that cannot be spoken, that cannot be told, which man may not utter. All right, this is really a remarkable statement. He's caught up into heaven, he says, and as he is there, he sees things and he hears things that he can't talk about. Now, why can't he? Well, some versions would give us the idea that because he's prohibited by God from doing it, and that might be true, but I think there's another reason that he couldn't talk about it. Have you ever um, been to Lake Powell? My family loves to rent uh, a houseboat and spend a week on Lake Powell. And what we do is at night, we climb up to the roof, which is a deck, climb up to the roof, bring our sleeping bags and pillows, and we will lie up there and just look into the heavens to look at the stars you know it's a dark sky there there's no man-made uh light back back deep into the uh, the lake and so uh, you're able to see things you never saw before and you can't see anywhere else i mean it's just truly amazing i'd like to explain that to you i'd like to Tell you all about it so you can understand. But I can't. I just don't have the words for it. And I think that's probably what Paul is talking about here. I just simply don't have the words to explain to you. Nobody could explain this to you. What I heard and saw there, and I can't tell you about it. And so he goes on now. And he heard things he cannot that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Now, going on, verse 5. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in my, see the word, weaknesses. I'll boast about my weaknesses, but not about my experience. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears in me. Pride is a dangerous thing. When you begin to want People to look at you and not the Savior, not the one who has blessed you and given you life and uh, who provides every good and perfect gift. Uh, When you begin to want the glory for accomplishments that really belongs to God, well, that's a very dangerous thing because God will have to get your attention and draw you back to himself. Now, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Now, he describes it. A messenger of Satan to harass me that word "harass" means to buffet," literally to strike on in the face. the idea of being hit repeatedly in the face. this is a big thing that he's talking about here, and so a messenger from Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. he says again, God is working to get his his attention. you see, and now he's saying that he's been given a thorn in the flesh that God intends to use. What's the thorn? Well, if you've been a Christian for some time, no doubt you've heard lots of speculation about what that is. None of us know for sure. It may have been a physical illness. It may have been a deformity. could well be. It could have been an issue related to his eyesight. Some think it was uh, ongoing bouts with malaria. Well, we don't know for sure, but I don't think it was any of those things. Uh, the only time in Scripture that this word messenger, a messenger from Satan, is uh, is used, it refers to a person or to an angel. The word messenger is angelos. It, uh, we get the word angel from it. It can be a human spokesman, messenger, or it could be God. Uh, it could be God speaking on behalf or through an angel. And so he, it's this personal thing. It's this individual thing. I think that the messenger from Satan was either an individual or a group of people to harass him. If you will read back in 2 Corinthians 1, he talks about being attacked and attacked and attacked. Over and over again and he came to the place that he didn't want to live anymore. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been attacked and attacked and attacked again by people, by critics, by someone who hates you. Uh, You know what it feels like. Well, here he says uh, that he had received a thorn in the flesh. That thorn in the flesh was the messenger. See, now, The word for thorn that he uses is not like a a cactus needle that you get in your finger. Uh, It's more like a a tent stake. So he says, this was driven down into my very being as a messenger that came from Satan. You see, Satan's trying to get him off track to, to feed him. A messenger from Satan to buffet me, uh, to to beat me up, and so he goes on to say, "Again, why did God, why did God allow this to happen? He allowed it to happen because He was protecting Paul from this ugly thing called pride," and so he goes on. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, all right, uh, again, there's explanation that might be helpful here. Three times. In our Bibles, the word three has to do with completeness. The Trinity, for example. Jesus was three days in the grave, uh, Jonah three days in the belly of the whale. On and on and on. Many examples of this. This is an idea of completeness. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. Uh, the, The word pleaded that's used here is written in a tense that means it happened in the past in which I Pleaded and pleaded and pleaded and pleaded with God. Repeatedly, I'm pleading with God. Three different seasons. I'm asking God, take this away. Take it away. And he didn't. Have you prayed for things to be taken away? For healing to come. For disappointments to be resolved. And you haven't seen God... Do it. How do we understand that? Well, even the apostle says three times, completeness, I pleaded with the Lord that he would take it away from me. But he said to me, now here's the reason I picked this passage. We need this word. In a season of COVID-19, when our world is being kind of turned upside down. And our lives are being turned upside down. And uh, we're, we're wearing masks. Where we, uh, we aren't going to work. Uh, we're wondering about kids going to school. Where there's un, uncertainty related to finances. And we could go out and people dying. Uh, as we could go on and on and on about this. We might say, well, it's kind of one of those times, and we've pled with the Lord. Why are we suffering as we are? And it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Now, follow this, if you would. Our world is not out of control. Your life is not out of control. Not at all. God is in control. And yes, we may be facing painful, difficult hours in our lives. It might be frightening to you. You might be struggling with it. But what we need to know is that God's power is perfected in our weakness. What does that mean? God is perfected in our weakness. Well, I think we can find out as we go on. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, it is when we are weak, we're strong. It is when we are dependent on God that we are most capable to live for him. When we are forced to stop glorifying ourselves and to turn our lives to glorifying him, to quit looking at ourselves and look to him because he is our hope and he is our strength, Then, then we are strong. Not through self-reliance, but instead God-dependence. So let's look at it again. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And please understand that. His grace, his power, his blessing, his work, his strength is sufficient for you. It's more than enough for you his grace will see you through and grace is like uh it's like standing on the side of the ocean and waves are rolling in one after the other after the other that's the way it is with god's grace in our lives it is ever coming to us you won't get away from it you won't get out of it for whatever you're experiencing in life even now you should understand god's grace To see you through is coming if you just will quit watching yourself, depending on yourself, and instead turn your eyes on Jesus and trust him. For power, God's power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore shall I boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon us. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardship, persecution, calamities, for when I am weak, then I am Strong, remarkable. Please hear this. It's a remarkable statement. God's grace is sufficient for you. And in this time of COVID nineteen and financial upheaval and and physical illness and. Uh, in challenges, in many different ways. And in your own life, there may be things not related to that, but struggles and disappointments in your own life. Please understand, God is aware of this. God is at work in this. He's drawing you away from yourself and to him. Why hasn't he taken away? Well, it's not time for that. That's why it's not the time. Our hearts, our eyes, our longings, our dependence must be on him. This is a unique time in the life of our world in which it is clear that we do not have the answers for everything that That we can't depend upon science or the government or whatever it might be to rescue us. What we need is God's divine intervention in our lives. And that comes through repentance, through faith, and for trusting God rather than yourself. He is sufficient. For you. In 1666, uh, an illness, the plague, was ravaging London. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people in London died from this. They were living separated lives. They were afraid to go out in public. They were afraid to intermingle all the deaths, all the illness. It was all around them. In 1667, the next year, a fire ravaged the city of London. And more than 50% of the homes were destroyed. Can you imagine those, that double blow? How did they survive that? There was a group of Christian leaders, preachers, who were called, called the Puritans. And by the way, that's a very... Uh, we shouldn't think of that in a negative term. Puritanical. Not at all. These were some of the greatest Bible teachers that the world has ever seen. Uh, They were preaching in London. And they called the people to repentance. To repent of their own self-interest, their self-dependence, and to turn to God. In absolute surrender to him. And as a result, within a few years, one of the great spiritual transformations of history was occurring in England and America. What could God do in your church what, what does God desire to do in your own life as you and I turn from self-centeredness to God-dependence? I encourage you with that today. Let's pray. We do ask, Heavenly Father, that you might work in us we would plead with you to remove the trials and and the worries and the losses and the virus. And we plead with you for your intervention. Not that it's bad to pray for that and recognizing you may do that. But Father, I know there's something even more important than removing it. It is allowing it to draw us near to you and you near to us for us to see more of you than we have ever seen before. And we pray to that end in Jesus' name.